beautiful season of Christian life. And I say that uh, with some sense of hesitancy because we are in one of the most difficult seasons of at least my life with so much sickness and death and despair and trouble in the world. Really, a beautiful aspect of the Christian life is that we can bear one another's burdens. So what is the most difficult season can actually be one of the most beautiful. One of the heaviest loads carried by the human spirit is the sense of grief. What we experience with the loss of some sort that brings great heaviness and sorrow into our being. Every Christian has seasons of grief. Perhaps you're in such a season. Many in our church family find themselves there. Grief can be overwhelming, can it? In fact, not just for the person that is experiencing grief, but for the people around the individuals with grief. So overwhelming that we often pull back when people need us the most. We do that in the flesh when we think things like, I just don't know what I will say. I don't know what to do. In reality, there are no words that will remove grief from the life of an individual, and there is no easy solution by which we can impart to the person who is grieved. We aid people who are grieving by being present, just moving towards them in their grief. Not by having the right words, not by expressing the right phrases, not by repeating some verse, but being present. And as our faith family, as our community, and many others are experiencing grief, I want us to be moving towards them. Just love on them. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that I can do is to walk up to someone I know is grieving and just hug, just embrace. Not that they're expecting me to have words that's gonna make the hurt go away, the words won't but just embrace them. Walking toward, towards someone who is grieving is really to love well. In Meadowbrook, you are a loving church. And I want us to be loving well during this season. Don't worry about having the right words. In my experience, grieving people don't want platitudes. They're not interested in us attempting to explain their brokenness or explain away the misery at least in first, all that they really want is somebody to draw near to them and love them, to express care. And we administer that healing salve to the brokenhearted when we do that, when we lovingly step towards the person who is grieving. Now, grief is such a vast topic. I, there's no way I'm going to be able to identify all the grief that might be represented here today. The Bible has about 30 different reasons why people grieve. And that's not an all-inclusive list. For some of you, it's the death of a loved one. For others, it's the persistent infertility. It's a failed business or a lack or loss of a job. It's a wayward child. It's a relationship that is broken. It's a significant loss due to COVID. Whatever the issue is, grief is very real, isn't it? I should remind you that Meadowbrook hosts a support group for those who are grieving it's called grief share and it will crank back up in less than a month on the 2nd of march at 10 o'clock in the mornings 
If you'd like more information, you can find it online at mbchurch.com or an ad there in the connection handout. It's a very practical way to connect with people who are grieving. I think what I want us to understand very early in this message is that Jesus knows grief. He knows exactly what grief is. He experienced it himself, and the people he loved experienced it. He grieved over a broken world, a world that is scarred by sin and the curse. He grieved for Israel. He grieved that they could have received his mercy, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation, but they rejected it, and they, in their rejection, he grieved. He was deeply troubled when John the Baptist was executed, so overwhelmed with that moment of sorrow that he just needed to pull away and spend time with the Father and the disciples in prayer. Grief was known in the time and the season in which his friend Lazarus died, and he saw the great hurt that Martha and Mary were experiencing, and he cried alongside of them. Grief not only affected Jesus, though it affected those who were around him, those he loved and ministered alongside of. Seeing that kind of grief among the people that he loved so much caused deep anguish within him. Jesus knew the disciples' grief as well as he was preparing him, them for the, his ascension to heaven, a time where he would no longer be with them in the physical world. He would be there in spirit, but not physically. And he knew that would cause grief in their lives. So in John's gospel, the 16th chapter, he identifies that. He begins to share with them, helping them to understand that. He says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while, and you will see me not see me and again in a little while you will see me and because I'm going to my father what, what is all this about Jesus says truly truly I say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. If you're experiencing grief today, I want you to know this passage has some great truth for you. It has great promise for you. I just want to mention about four of them. There could be many others, but I'm just going to identify four of those very quickly. The first is this, that Jesus understands that confusion may accompany grief. I am around people who grieve fairly deeply, and many of them say a lot of the same thing. I just can't think clearly. My general counsel to them is, well, don't be making decisions right now that are really important. Just hold back. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Let him bring truth to you. Let him bring clarity into your life. It will come again, I promise. We all experience confusion in the midst of grief. That confusion can often be expressed with questions. Why? When? How? Jesus understands. 
He was not taken aback when the disciples asked questions like, what is this that he says to us? I don't get it. I'm confused about it. So overwhelmed by the thought of not having the Lord's presence with them, the disciples could not grasp what he was sharing with them. Now, from reading the entirety of the passage, you will understand that the disciples were in a whirlwind of thought and confusion about life without Jesus, without his presence with them. The circumstances that cause us to grieve are often so overwhelming that we too have a hard time thinking clearly, unable to envision life as it now is. And that's okay. That's completely normal. Don't be too bothered by that. I would suggest to you today that your confusion and your questions and your wondering has less to do with doubt and more to do with you're just overwhelmed. The Bible gives us plenty of leeway to ask very difficult questions in the midst of grief and challenging circumstances. You can be very transparent, very vulnerable before the Lord of truth when you are questioning in your confusion. Jesus wasn't taken aback by the disciples' confusion about what he was talking about in the midst of their sorrow, and I doubt that he's very much taken aback by your confusion in the midst of your grief as well. When grieving and you have those clouded thoughts and confusion, let me just encourage you with three truths. The first is this, you can trust God is sovereign. You can trust him. He remains sovereign. When your life is unruly, Jesus' rule remains entirely stable. You can trust him in his sovereignty. And you can trust that God has a plan, and that plan is going to end in victory. And you can trust that God's promises are true. You can't name a single promise that Jesus has ever made or God has ever declared that has not come true. Every one of his promises are yes. So you're hurting, you're confused, you're wondering. You might even be doubtful. Just rest into this truth. You may not grab hold of it right now, but God is sovereign. God has a plan and it will complete with victory. And God's promises are absolutely true to you. Just trust him. Just rest in that. It may not make sense right now, but in the end, it will. Certainly when we look back from eternity to this time, it will make perfect sense. The Lord knows grief, and he knows where you are in the confusion of your grief. Secondly, Jesus moves towards us and meets us when we grieve. Look at verse 20 again. Jesus says, you will weep and lament, you will be sorrowful. All those are future tense, as he's explaining to the disciples. And if Jesus had left it there in future tense, we might not really grab hold of the notion that Jesus is moving towards us when we are grieving. We we might assume that he is somehow removed from us, thinking only in the future. Oh yeah, in heaven, he's gonna make everything right. In eternity, everything is gonna be right, but it's way more than that. Because look in verse 22, he says, so also you have sorrow now. He brings it into the present tense. 
So he's saying, not only are you going to be grieving and sorrowful in the future, but you have that right now. And he knows that, and he is present in the now with them in the midst of their grief. He knew their thoughts. He had peered into their hearts. He had heard their words. And so he knew their trouble and their confusion and their pain and suffering, and he met them there. You have that now. Jesus didn't shame them, did he? He didn't tell them the reasons why they should not have grief. Instead, he reminded them that there is a new day coming, a day when there will be no mourning, no sorrow or grief. I tend to be pretty quick to grieve. And you probably do too. In fact, I tend to anticipate what I might lose and even grieve that before I lose it. The disciples did too. Do you notice that? They're grieving already. You have sorrow now, and Jesus hasn't gone yet. He's not ascended to the Father. He's there with them. But just knowing the news, hearing the news, and the anticipation of that day in which Christ will not be with them in the present, the physical, when he would not be there in that time, that caused them to sorrow already. We tend to be very fast in our grieving. In fact, the anticipation of the loss can come close to the experience of the loss itself. Now, Jesus isn't chiding them for that. He's not even redirecting them into a different way of thinking about that. He wants them to be quick in their grief because that shows the love and the longing that they have for him. But he wants them to be just as quick in the joy that is to come, anticipating the joy that's to come. You can anticipate the sorrow. Okay, anticipate the sorrow, but also be quick to anticipate a new day coming. A day when there will be no sorrow, when every tear will be wiped away. And Jesus is wanting them to do, to do that. The challenge is there. The loss is present. It's anticipated as well. In today's passage, Jesus is helping them to anticipate the loss, experience that grief of the loss, but just be as quick to anticipate the joy to come. It's human nature to anticipate and experience grief even before the loss. It's Christian nature to anticipate the joy of the resurrection and the eternal life that Jesus shares with us. So sure, we're all going to experience loss and sorrow, but as Christians, we experience loss and sorrow with a different perspective because we know there is a day coming without that. and We can anticipate that. That can give us a different hope so sorrow and grief are appropriate responses, especially with the passing of a loved one. God doesn't instruct us not to grieve. In fact, what God does is he teaches us to grieve well. He says over in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, don't grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, sure, be, be grieving, but grieve with hope that a new day is coming, a day of joy and a day of resurrection a day where all things will be made new know that day is coming so listen to the Lord's words he says I know you have sorrow now I want you to hear that Jesus knows you have sorrow now he knows the depth of your pain he knows the reasons for it and Jesus is meeting you there in your suffering the number three from this passage Jesus knows our grief is temporary. Now, it doesn't seem like it's temporary right now, but Jesus knows it's temporary. 
In fact, he says, you have sorrow now. If you're wanting to underline in your Bible, you might just want to underline or circle that word now because that's a big word in this verse. I know you have sorrow now. Now is encouraging for us in the text because it not only acknowledges that Jesus knows our present grieving, but it acknowledges that Jesus knows that it is temporary. It is now, but it's not going to forever be this way. It's now. There's a time in the future that there will be no more grief. You may feel that your sorrow is going to last forever, but it will not. It will not. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It may seem like the night is going to be persistent and not have the sun rising, the joy to come, but it will come. If you're in dark despair today, I want you to know from God's good news that there is a new day dawning. There is a new day coming, and that day will be filled with joy. In the darkness of your night that you're experiencing right now with deep anguish and sorrow, there is a ray of hope coming, and it will come with the rising of joy for all eternity for you. It's coming. Trust him. If this day is not that day then feel the loving embrace of Jesus as he draws near to you and listen to him as he is whispering in your ear by his spirit through his word I know that you're hurting I know that you are grieving it is only for now there is a new day coming and with that acknowledgement you can begin to anticipate joy I'm not telling you you're going to be joyful today I'm telling you you're going to begin anticipating joy Jesus illustrates this point by giving us the anguish of childbirth, reminding us of that, that a woman's experience of trouble and pain in delivering a child can be very troublesome, can it? The process, though, is going to end with joy, the joy of a new life. Anybody into Lifetime movies? I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't imagine anything more agonizing than watching a four-hour Lifetime movie this afternoon. <laughs> but I have found out that there is something even worse. There is a British show called Call the Midwife. And it has at least 10 minutes of agonizing screaming from a woman who is delivering a baby in every episode. And if that's not bad enough, there are nine seasons to be binged watched of Call the Midwife. Somehow my mother found this show and she introduced it to my wife and my wife absolutely loves it. It's pretty predictable. Somebody picks up the phone and calls the midwife. And the midwife answers, midwife speaking. And she cycles over to where the woman is screaming. And the insistent screaming happens until the baby is delivered. And then suddenly, magically, joy abounds. And the whole place erupts in joy and celebration. I don't think Jesus cares the least about watching Call the Midwife, but he understands that illustration. And he says, as agonizing as your experience is, 
there will be a day that you'll see it differently. And you'll know it in light of his perfect resurrection and glorification. And you will be filled with joy. And when you cannot overcome your sorrow right now, just anticipate that God is bringing that day. That day will come. That's a whole lot better than a platitude, isn't it? It's going to be okay. No, it's not. You're going to wake up tomorrow, and that emptiness is still going to be there, and that longing is still going to be there, and that deep heart hurt will be there. But you can anticipate there is coming a day when it won't. There is coming a day when Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eye and eternal life will be yours and the glorified body will be given to you and there will be nothing but joy, uninterrupted joy throughout all eternity. Just anticipate that day. From his timeless perspective, Jesus sees that. There's coming a day when it will be different. Now, I know some of you are having a hard time seeing that day. You're having a hard time believing that there will ever be a day without the depth of hurt and pain and suffering that you're experiencing. That's why Jesus is saying that he is going to see you. He says that there will be a day that I will see you. I will return. That's good news. Because he's not just waiting for you to see him. Everybody's going to see him in his glorious second coming the big news is not that everybody's going to see him the big news is that he sees you he comes to you he changes your situation he changes your suffering he changes your sorrow he changes your grief he changes your disease he changes your sin and he makes it all together new so when he says i see you it changes everything when he comes to us and finally Jesus possesses and gives joy. It's not even something you're going to have to come up with. It's not like you're going to have to convince yourself to have joy again, convince yourself that you're going to be happy again. Oh, no. Joy is owned by Jesus, and he gives it freely. It's not up to you to make yourself joyful. Joy is a reality that he brings into your life. We find joy in Jesus. He's the source of joy, and he freely gives that joy to those who have faith in him. Look what he says in chapter 15 of uh, verse 11 in John. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Notice the words again that Jesus mentions in today's passage, chapter 16. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The disciples were sorrowful because Jesus was going away. They would not be able to see him any longer, be with him physically. We might think that he would encourage them by saying, you'll see me again, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus says, I will see you. In the context of your sorrow and grief, that changes totally when you and Jesus see one another when he returns, when he seeks you out You'll see his glorious appearance and he will seek you out and he will see you and he will come directly to you and he will exchange your grief and your sorrow for his glory. He'll exchange your hurt for his healing and his joy. 
So I want you to hear the words of Jesus with certainty. I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. It will come. You may feel that you're so deep in the darkness of grief that you can't imagine joy again. You may even feel that happiness is elusive to you and never to settle back into your life again. But let the words of Jesus flood your heart today. Let your sorrow and the void of your sorrow hear the encouragement of Christ our Lord. Let the reality of his spoken word rise in you this morning as Jesus states that your heart will rejoice again and no one will take that joy from you. Let that truth settle into your weary soul. The joy that Jesus gives is eternal. And my Christian brother or sister, it's an eternal reality for you. So the Lord's mercies will be new every morning. You'll need to make it through very difficult days looking for that mercy. It's coming every morning. God will give you what's needed for today. Can I remind you how Jesus told us to pray? He said, pray about the daily bread. Lord, give us our bread today I know you want him to take all of that hurt and suffering away I want it out of my life as well but here's what Jesus says I'll give you what you need for today and you'll make it through today because my mercies are extended to you tomorrow morning I'll make a promise to you my mercies will rise with the sun I can make it through that I can make it knowing that tomorrow God will supply and you know how I can make it and you can make it through that because you can even anticipate way further out when the glory of God will replace the need for the son where the presence of our Lord will replace the need for the rising of mercies again where it will forever be glorious we can make it and you can make it the Lord doesn't promise to remove your sorrow, but he does promise to walk with you in the midst of the sorrow. And if you walk with him, you will grow with him. And man, what a life that is. And he pledges to exchange your sorrow for joy throughout eternity. Just anticipate that day. Anticipate it coming. Our invitation song is a unique one. It's yet not I, but Christ in me. I want to read just part of the verse and the, the refrain, if you will listen. The night is dark, but I'm not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead, Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Pray with me. Lord, as we journey through the valley of the shadow of death, we do so with you, our shepherd. We may not like where we are, 
But Lord, we like being with you. So as we walk side by side for this day, give us our daily bread. And tomorrow we will trust that you will, with the rising of the sun, extend your mercies renewed to us. And we anticipate, Lord, there's a day coming where you will wipe away every tear. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. Thank you, God, for that kind of love. And as your spirit never leaves us or forsakes us, we choose to rest and trust in you. So help us, God, I pray. Amen.